Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. Thanks for listening to AFR. On this uh, Tuesday, January the 31st, and joining me in studio is Ed Battagliano. Good morning. Good morning, Tim. Welcome back. Yes, sir. Uh, it's good to be back. Good to be home. And good to be back in the office. I, I enjoyed seeing everybody this morning. Fred Jackson. Yes, sir. And we're in Tupelo MS, and in Kansas City KS is our good friend Ray Pritchard. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Tim. How you doing? We're doing we're doing well here. Bitterly cold weather there where you are, huh? It was eight degrees a couple of hours ago. It has zoomed up to about fourteen <laughs> or fifteen degrees. Well, zoomed up. <laughs> time to get outside and enjoy the outdoor life. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, oh man. I, oh yeah, I'm telling you. I just I got out and walked my dog for about thirty seconds this morning. <laughs> I said, honey, do your business and do it fast. I know. I bet the dog did, too. We, you know yes, she did. <laughs> we have she an didn't in- want to be out in that either. I know. We have, we have an indoor dog, too, a Maltese. And when I uh, when it's really cold, it's open the door, let him out, <laughs> yeah. and wait for him to come back to the door. <laughs> he's not going anywhere else. Right. We got a fence. So, I mean, he just got to go out there. And usually, if it's really cold, like you're saying, Ray, they go – they zip out there, and they know it's cold, too. That, that, that when dogs have been around people a lot, I think right. they get smarter. Yeah. And they learn they learn <laughs> the difference between comfort and discomfort. Exactly, exactly. I want to ask you, Fred, uh, weather, is, speaking of weather, weather is a big story, right? It's a big story. Um, we have, it was amazing, even last evening, we live in Tupelo, Mississippi, where it was about 50 degrees last night. Uh, just about 90 miles to our northwest in Memphis, it was in the 30s. Hmm. So you've got this coming together of systems, warm air, cold air, and that is generating all kinds of uh, ice, freezing rain. In, in, so Freezing rain is the worst. That's I mean, worst. absolute worst. There are, uh, late last night, uh, up to 1,000 flights have been canceled. They're expecting more flights today. Because of that problem, uh, we have uh, one of our news anchors lives in Tyler, Texas, and uh, they're starting to see. Uh, he was just texting me. They're starting to see some flickering in the lights there in Tyler, Uh-oh. which is 100 miles east of uh, Dallas. Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, approximately. So, and if that weather is in Dallas, that's that's the big home base of American Airlines Southwest. If that starts to get messed up today. That just jigs up the whole system. Well, yeah, the whole, I, yeah, go the I whole was going to say, uh, I, I flew back uh, in last night into Memphis. My son was also flying back in, but we were routed to do two different places. We flew out to uh, Florida for my dad's funeral mm-hmm. um, a, a, together, yeah. but flew back separately just because you try to get flights on short notice. Oh, man. So he had a fly to Houston. <gasps> I flew to Atlanta. And we were both uh, my both of my flights were delayed, and and you know when I finally got to Memphis, my son was already there. I was looking at the board to find out if he had arrived yet, and I saw all these other flights. He he did. We both yes. arrived. We got home safely. Canceled, 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 canceled. Yeah. Delayed, 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 and that kind of thing snowballs. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. 
uh, for the, throughout the whole country. Yes. Uh, yep. and, and flights get delayed everywhere else. It's, it's a real mess when these systems hit the country. Yeah. And I, I personally, uh, I would rather have snow than freezing rain Every and day. ice. It is. Mm-hmm. Like Tim said, it's the worst. Yes. You can, you know, Fred, you, you and I grew up in cold weather up yes. north. Mm-hmm. You can drive on snow. Yes. On ice, nobody can drive. You just kind of go where your car's headed because there's just very little well, control. I- yeah, you can drive on snow, but have you ever seen Southerners try to drive on snow? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Up close and personal, Tim. <laughs> I have one word: beware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, you. <laughs> I have two words: stay home. <laughs> no, <That's> right? right. <laughs> don't. Just don't. <laughs> Just don't. Well, uh, it is going to be a mess in the mid south, and then uh, I guess the mid Atlantic. Um, when is that supposed to come in? By the way. Uh, not, for us here in Tupelo, we're going to escape it. I think the worst of it's going to go Arkansas, Tennessee. I don't know, Kentucky, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Missouri. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm trying to look here, but uh, anyway, it's it's like you said. What happens? I remember that you know if if you've ever experienced an ice storm or a freezing rain, mm-hmm. that's when the rain freezes on contact, and uh, that's happened about. Two or three times in a major way, I can remember the last twenty-five years, and we live in the land of pine trees. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and for those who live in pine tree land, and you've ever experienced a, a freezing rain, you know it sounds like a war zone outside. I mean, huh? Like gunshots. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. All, I mean, this time, I remember when that happened for about. 24 hours one time and just you're talking about branches snapping yeah because that the ice every every drop freezes and makes uh just a little limb like bend over right quickly and then that's why the power goes out those power lines can't withstand that all that extra weight exactly all right well uh we hope you have a safe day um uh right i mean uh let's go ahead and get to the news yeah, let's start off with a court victory uh, pro, for a pro-life uh, activist, Mark Hauk of Pennsylvania. And uh, uh, this is a story that has been around now for several months. You will remember there was an incident almost a year ago uh, near a Planned Parenthood clinic in Philadelphia. Mark Hauk was there with his 12-year-old son. In Pennsylvania, right? Yes, they were stand- I saw a video this morning. By the way, we posted this video of this encounter that Mark Hauk had uh, with a Planned Parenthood clinic watcher, we'll call him. Anyway, uh, Mark Hauk and his son were standing down at the corner of a street, a distance from the entrance to the Planned Parenthood clinic. This Planned Parenthood clinic worker, his name is Bruce Love. He's called a clinic escort kept going down where Mark Houck and his son were at the corner, away from the entrance. They were down at the corner. And according to Mark Houck, and he testified to this, this uh, Planned Parenthood clinic escort kept taunting Mark's son, 12-year-old son, and then would walk back and kept touting. So he's he's away from the clinic door. Mark Houck is not interfering with traffic going into the clinic. But this worked. Finally, Mark Houck had had enough, and he shoved this clinic escort away from his son away from his son all right now uh, the uh mark bruce love 
this my this matter went to municipal court, and the municipal court threw the incident out. Right. And this wasn't a big deal. It got a shove. However, the federal government got wind of this. This Bruce Love filed a lawsuit, and uh, the Biden administration's Justice Department, the Attorney General of the United States, remember, a municipal court threw this out, no big deal. They filed charges under the what's called the FACE Act, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrance Act. And a lawyer for Mark Houck offered to bring him in when they got wind that they were going to be charged. They offered to bring him in, and they got no response from the Justice Department. However, in September, last September, 20 to 25 FBI agents showed up at Mark Houck's house. He was there with his wife, and they have about six or seven kids. Seven kids. Seven kids. According to Mark Houck and his wife, 20 to 25 FBI agents, at least five of them had their weapons drawn. Right. They had a battering ram. Now, Mark Houck has never been involved in Did they break down his door? They they threatened to. Oh, okay. He was handcuffed. In front of his children. In front of his children and taken away. This... It's hard to believe this is happening in America, folks. All right? So what happened yesterday, to bring you up to date, the jury said, not guilty. He's not guilty. Praise the Lord. Praise yeah. the Lord for that. Yes, yes. Uh, we have Poor a clip. man and his wife and family, his children, always can remember that. Yep. We have a clip of Mark Houck just, what a great verdict uh, yesterday. Cut number four. No, oh, pardon me. Cut number three. And support, encouragement, stay the course. All over the world. It's not just Philly. It's just not the United States. All over the world. And how do you not feel the gift of that, the blessing of all that? And so, um, you know, to, to all that may hear this, thank you. Sincere thanks to my wife and children. And, uh, you know, just the financial support is was there for my wife to help her. You know, God forbid uh, that would, she would need it. And people just came through with, her, with a yes to help her, with a generous way of saying, we love you. We're here for you. We'll support you. No matter what, Thomas More Society assured me, we're with you to the end. That's what they told me. Hey, by the way, Brent, see if we can get uh, Mark Halk on sometime soon. <clears throat> I'd love to interview him personally here on the radio. Right. Ray, have you heard about this story? Yeah, I had. And uh, it's a reminder, again, of what happens when the Justice Department gets weaponized against American citizens. The, the notion that he would be arrested, the notion that a gang, I don't even know what, a, a gang of of police officers would come to his house with threaten to take the battering ram and, and knock down the, the front door and all of that. Uh, that's That smacks of what a totalitarian government does. And I am glad that he got his day in court. And kudos to the Thomas More Society right. for standing up for him and defending him and justice was well served in this case. And a lot of our listeners prayed about this situation yeah. and for Mark and his family. And you're right, the Thomas More Society was the law firm that defended him pro bono, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And we commend them. And uh, and uh, it's anyway, it's a day to celebrate for Mark and his family and praise God for, for the outcome. But the way you described it, Fred, earlier, it's just shocking that the FBI – would after his lawyer 
had offered to bring him in. Yes. So this sounds like it was just a big show of force Mm -hmm. to intimidate the pro-life community nationwide, Ed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. I, I think that's exactly the intent of what the Biden administration did. You know, congratulations to the Biden administration. You have alienated an entire family. And all the other pro-life people connected with this family and all the people in the country who now know about this, you've alienated all those people. This is Joe Biden, when he was running for president, said he was going to unify this country. And instead, what he's done is he has continued to divide us. And now he's using the power of the federal government to terrorize people with whom he has political uh, disagreements. On the other hand, I want to encourage Christians who are listening we talked about the Thomas More Society. There are other fine uh, legal firms that are Christian and who will defend Christians. The, here's the encouragement. We, uh, of course, here at the American Family Association, saw what was coming in terms of the quote-unquote progressive movement and the God-haters on the left. But God also saw it coming, obviously, and had raised up these firms. Okay, These firms have been, and in fact, Tim, you... And your dad, Brother Don Wildman, the founder of this ministry, were uh, were involved in establishing, I think it was uh, Alliance Defending yes. Freedom, uh, ADF. So there were people who saw what was coming and, had, and have been prepared for decades to defend the rights of Christians. Folks, I'm just going to tell you, my wife accuses me of being overly optimistic. I'm just going to encourage you. I do not think God is done with America yet. God has set up these organizations and groups like American Family Association, uh, American Family Radio, to get the word out when Amen. the news media is so biased. <clears throat> so God has been at work for decades, just like the devil has, and we know who's going to win in the end. So I just want to encourage you. This is a great victory for Mark Houck and for the pro-life movement <clears throat> in the face of the weaponization of the federal government, uh, the good guys are going to win. And politically speaking, this is what Jim Jordan and others, the congressman from Ohio, they are looking into. I've forgotten if Jim Jordan, is, if that's his appointment by uh, Speaker McCarthy, but somebody was appointed to oversee the weaponization of the of the federal government. I think it is Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. Anyway, this is exactly what we're talking about and it's a pattern it's a pattern by the biden justice department everybody knows what happened in loudon county early on remember the parents showed up they were upset with what their kids were being taught they found out during covid shutdown what the kids were being taught and then they found out that a boy who said he was a girl was allowed to use the girl's washroom assaulted a girl what did the school district do they just shifted the boy to another school where he assaulted another girl. The parents show up, and by golly, they're a little upset about this. Especially the father, I remember Especially that. the father. So what happens? The, the school board organizing body, we found out later, they sent a letter to Mayor Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, saying, kind of help us out here and what, what we can do to fight this. And they worked together to draft a letter. <clears throat> And the Attorney General of the United States referred to these parents as domestic terrorists. Right. We've got this going. This is happening in our military. Yep. 
They're looking at the social media of our soldiers. This is why we got to change the presidency next yeah. time around. We cannot yeah. have a, a secular progressive be in the White House or these things happen. Yes. Right. Like with Biden here. Uh, you're listening to today's issues on American Family Radio. Ed, folks want to watch us on the Internet, uh, want to check out our... Yeah, there's a couple of options yeah. for doing that. You can go to Facebook and search for today's issues and click through. Or you can go to our own streaming platform, AFA streaming platform, streaming.afa.net, and you can watch, for most of our radio uh, talk radio programs, you can watch the video streaming of that show. So uh, check us out on either of those uh, platforms. We do recommend that you go to our streaming platform. You can sign up there and watch a lot of our video content. Very simple to do. And if you want to see our smiling faces, you can do that. Hey, Ray, you, uh, where are you in your reading through the Bible? We are today in Exodus chapter, what, uh, 30, 31, 32, 33. I have had so much fun, Tim, so much fun doing this. And I got to say, uh, it, it is humbling. Ed, you'll understand this. You know, you can study the Bible for your whole life. <laughs> And then you start to read it out loud for other people to listen, and you realize how much there you never even saw before. It's I, a revelation. It's I've, a, I've given up. When I, when I was in Bible college, my intent was to go through the Bible and categorize, categorize every scripture into you know whatever it was teaching about you know redemption or the Holy Spirit or what have you. And at some point in my life, I just realized— you're just not going to comprehend the Bible. Human, human beings will not comprehend the complete width, depth of, uh, you know, girth of the Bible. It's just so much there. And God is so vast. And we are blessed when we can understand some things. And anyway, I, I, listen, that, th- those passages you're talking about, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. I was uh, working on a blog uh, for that that very passage Great stuff there, Ray. Well, and let me just say to our, all of our listeners, uh, you can come to keepbelieving.com. We, we post a new video with the Bible reading every morning at 7 a.m. Posted at Keep Believing at YouTube, at Facebook, and, and on the Rumble video platform. And, and Tim, I, I will say this, too. To, to anybody, skeptics and anybody, if you doubt the Bible's the Word of God, just start reading it. Read it and read it out loud because there is power. Amen. There is power that is beyond the words on the page. It's God's word. It it's a sword. It cuts. It'll speak. If you want to be, if you're unsure about it, just start reading it, and God will speak to you. All right. So, are you trying to stay a day or two ahead, or? Oh, I I'm trying to stay quite a bit more than that because I'm traveling so much. Right. You know, two, right. Two right. weeks ago, hey, I was. Get, in, if you get sick for three or four days, you know, <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, things, yeah. things happen that That's interfere right. with your everyday schedule, and so you. That's good that you're getting ahead. I, I don't know what this. I, this is the first I've heard of it. So, what are you doing, Ray? You're just reading the reading the Bible. Yeah, you know, and back in back in late November, I, and I used the following expression advisedly. God spoke to me. I, I advisedly asked because it doesn't happen to me all the time, right. but the Lord laid heavy on my heart that I needed to read the Bible out loud, and I needed to do it publicly, and. I, and and it is partly partly it's this I turned seventy in 
in September, and you do start thinking about your legacy. Right. You start thinking about what you want to leave behind. And I decided for my family, my kids, my grandkids, and whoever comes after, and and friends scattered around the world, that I was, if God would help me, I would read the Bible out loud, word for word, as best I could, and post it on the Internet every idea. single day. And so... We we said we made up a schedule taking us from Genesis to Revelation, and as of today, it's uh, we're in Exodus thirty through thirty three. So, what do you do with all those? Uh, we'll move on. I just one last question. So, what do you do with all those hard to pronounce names? Okay, good. Okay, I, I listen. I, I have the answer on that. You take one look, you say it out loud, and you move on quickly. Okay? <laughs> you know why? Because nobody else knows it different. No, that's that's right. exact. Those guys are dead. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. They've been dead a long time. Nobody else knows how to say those names. Say it loud and move, move on, on quickly. Move on. That's right. Well, good all for right. you, uh, All right, Fred, next story. All right. Uh, President Joe Biden has a story he tells about his time riding He has trails. a lot of them, actually. <laughs> Not all of them are true. This one he has repeated now eight times. So here's a little bit of Joe Biden's Amtrak train story. Cut number five. I used to about uh, 15% of the time ride with the engineers, for real. And I'm the only guy that I'm aware of when I stopped riding Amtrak that had a key to get in the back. The president and I flew over a million miles on Air Force Two, and I was uh, going home as a United States uh, as vice president. One of the conductors said to me, hey, Joe, big deal million, whatever, 200, you said you've, you've traveled over a million miles on Amtrak, and they added it up at there. So there's a problem. Is any of that true? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it's been proven false every time he tells the story. But this, what you just heard, was last Friday. So what, what, is, what is false about what he's saying? How many miles he was on there? The fact that he rode with the engineers? All of it? What? Let me read let, okay. me, uh, let me try to read, because even CNN, friend of the Democratic right. Party, has fact-checked him time and time again. And it says, in some tellings, the encounter happened at the end of Biden's eight years as vice president after he crossed a million miles in Air Force Two. But that version is impossible because the conductor that he talks about retired in 1992, and he died in May of 2014. So it's not possible. Right. Biden called the latest version a true story and said it happened early in his vice presidency before his mother died in 2010, which is equally difficult to square with facts because Biden didn't cross one million miles on Air Force Two until September 2015. The dates don't add up with the story. And this is, this the, is just, yeah, this is just made up fantasy land in his yeah. brain. And he just, you know, how he's just spouting it off. So, but he repeats it over and over and over again. Same old story. Well, uh, there's look. There's there's a lot of things about me that people don't know. I was a starting pitcher for the Boston Red Sox during, <laughs> during my high school years. Say it enough, man. Yes. Yeah, right. Back in 1975, <laughs> 75, we lost you and Spaceman big, Bill Lee. And... <laughs> exactly, we lost to the Louis Big Tion. Red Machine. Yep. That's right. But uh, boy, those and, are some uh, good. In your days off, you played for the Celtics. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Actually. Uh, some of this stuff is funny, and then it's not funny. But this is what happens to people who are losing their mind. Mm. Uh, and, and I don't say that. I'm not laughing about 
people people as you get older you start telling stories uh well and a lot of them are true from yesteryear but then you got your dates and your people mixed up and you just sort of juxtapose all that and yeah it becomes a uh I, let me just say uh, i gotta beat yeah, the clock go here we were reminiscing my sisters and i uh about my dad he loved to tell stories one day in the middle of one of his stories i said dad that happened to me. I told you that story. <laughs> you got your own stories. Don't take mine. Yeah, it happens. All right, we'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks one-year scholarship program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session begins August 19th. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Dwayne Johnson is best known as The Rock. He's a Hollywood megastar, also known for his work as a pro wrestler. But when he was a kid growing up in Hawaii, he was dirt poor. And as a teenage boy, he made some pretty bad decisions in his life not the least of which was shoplifting candy bars from a 7-Eleven. The Rock says he used to steal Snicker bars every day when he was a kid, and decades later, he knew it was time to right that wrong. So The Rock returned to that 7-Eleven and plopped down enough cash to buy every Snickers bar in the store. He also gave the store clerk a tip, telling the cashier to give the candy to any kid who might look like a potential shoplifter. The Rock said you can't change your past, but every once in a while you can make things right with a little bit of redeeming grace. Be sure to get a copy of my book, Our Daily Biscuit Devotions with a Drawl, available at ToddSturge.com. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 American Family Radio. 
This is today's issues. Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the radio program Today's Issues on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, uh, uh, my wife and I, Allison, and uh, Stephen and Beth McDowell of the Providence Foundation, we're leading tours again this year, June and September, to Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon. Uh, we're also leading in September a tour to Colonial Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. Uh, we call these uh, trips spiritual heritage tours. And uh, we've got uh, a lot of folks already signed up to go with us this year. And if that's something that you want to do, we call it a vacation with a purpose. Then uh, the dates, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know about these uh, spiritual heritage tours are available uh, at the website spiritualheritagetours.com. Spiritualheritagetours.com. Again, we go in June, and then we do the same trip in September. Pick pick whichever uh, time works out best for you and your family, and and join us. Uh, we'd love to, to have you. All right, uh, joining us right now from the great state of North Carolina is Dr. Alex McFarland. Heard each afternoon on Exploring the Word from 3 to 4 o'clock Central Time, which is a uh, radio live radio Bible study uh, that he and uh, Brother Bert Harper co-host good morning alex a good morning everybody all right alex here's the question uh i uh everybody on the panel here <clears throat> knows what i'm going to ask you and uh uh we're gonna we're gonna you know we kind of switch up sometimes between news events and spiritual events or things that are in the bible and uh, i've often wondered alex uh uh, well, I, I know the answer to my question, but right. down through the years, I wondered how the Bible came to be. Because, uh, you know, as, as most Christians grow up in America, we're just taught this is the Bible. It's the Word of God. Don't question it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I understand that don't question it and, and that it is the Word of God. And, and we're, I was brought up that way, as, as were all of y'all. However, uh, the question, the academic question, I guess, the historical question, Alex, I have that a lot of people would have is, is uh, who, how did the Bible come to be in the first place? Uh, because the, obviously the early Christians didn't have the Bible. I don't know. So how, how did that take us through that timeline and, and how, that, how that occurred? Well, that's a great question, Tim, and everybody, and it, it's one of my favorite topics, really. And and this would fall under the heading of what we call canonicity, the canon of Scripture. And the word canon is really a word that means measuring stick. And so when we talk about the books that are in the canon of the Bible, uh, Old and New Testament, we've got 39 old, 27 new. Genesis through Malachi is the Old Testament. And then the New Testament is uh, the 27 books, Matthew through Revelation. And, you know, what's so amazing about the Bible is you've got roughly about 40 authors writing over a period of about 1,500 years most of these people didn't even know each other, uh, and vastly different people. Okay, you got Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and he, you know, led the Israelites out of Egypt. 
Um, and then you've got King David, you've got Amos, who was a farmer, uh, you've got Luke, who was a physician, the Apostle Paul, that was a philosopher, theologian, probably genius-level IQ, actually. I really do believe that about Paul. Peter was a fisherman. Vastly different people, and yet you've got this unified message, which is the Messiah and how you can know him, and the kingdom of God and how to get in. And so um, the Bible, I believe, guys, uh, it's, it's miraculous in the content that God gave, but I also believe it's miraculous in the preservation, the way that God miraculously, uh, sovereignly preserved these scriptures. And um, to really drill down deeply, I mean, there's some good books. I mean, there was a really good book some years ago by a guy named F.F. Bruce. F.F. Bruce, very conservative, godly scholar, um, and he wrote a book on the canon of scripture. And then... um, a wonderful book I would love to recommend, and I knew both of these gentlemen, Norm Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R, Norm Geisler and William Nix, N-I-X, From God to Us, How We Got the Bible. These are easily uh, findable. But let me just say this. If people go on the Spiritual Heritage Tour with you, Tim, and go to Washington, mm-hmm. I urge you, make time to go by the Bible Museum. Uh, Bert and I have actually broadcast from the Bible Museum on a, on a couple of occasions. And uh, so the the Bible is God's Word, and you can depend on it. Uh, but it originally came, you know, um, God gave his Word, first of all, to Moses. And the first five books we call the Pentateuch, prefix P-E-N-T, meaning five. Genesis, <clears throat> Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were written by Moses. And, so, you're, um, so you're saying the first five books of the Bible that we have today <clears throat> uh, was physically written down by Moses? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. God gave those words. and you, how, you know, how, can so, you, how can you know that? How can you tell that? Well, you know, I think one thing that is very compelling is that the, the ancient Israelites were meticulous, meticulous about— preserving their, their scriptures. and But I'm going to tell you the number one reason. Now, this is going to sound simplistic, but it's not. And a skeptic, if, if this were the only argument I was making, a skeptic might say, well, you're arguing in circles, but I'm not. I'm going to tell you why I accept the Mosaic authorship of the first five books of the Bible. For one, I mean, there's history and there's Jewish sources that reference it, and it's accurate. But the reason that I accept Mosaic authorship of the first five books is because Jesus did. I mean, and, and by the way, I know I'm throwing out some words here, folks, but um, probably 150 years ago, it became very fashionable to attack the traditional uh, beliefs about the Bible um, and how all this came about in Europe in the late 18th, early to mid-19th centuries. I won't go into all that. But suddenly, by the, the early... 19th century, it in academic circles, you know, they were like, well, there never was a Moses or anything like that. One of the reasons that I definitely accept that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible is because Jesus affirmed that over and over. The only man that ever walked on water, Jesus, would say, have you not read? Moses wrote. Moses wrote. So I, I believe in the traditional 
uh, orthodox acceptance of the truth of God's Word and the authors, not only because I think there's good evidence, but over and over, Jesus affirmed Moses. He affirmed uh, Jonah. He affirmed Isaiah. He affirmed Jeremiah and Daniel. And it's interesting, um, whether it be denominations that are drifting and going woke, folks, everything rises or falls on the authority that we attribute to the Word of God. If if we—go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, It's Fred here. Uh, Another example, Jesus in Matthew 24 referred to as it was in the days of Noah. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus certainly believed in the story of Noah and the flood uh, that destroyed. But I I wanted to get your comments on the role of archaeology. It excites me when I hear these stories, and and it doesn't surprise me, but it excites me that secular media comes up and they say, archaeologists have found this coin. And by golly gee, that's just what the Bible said about the coin with the image on it, etc., etc., Archaeology backs up the authority of Scripture. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. And by the way, you know, archaeology is a relatively new discipline. I mean, you know, it's the last 150 years. It goes back what, to uh, Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. But, but you know, uh, what's amazing is there, there have been biblical stories and cities and happenings that were assumed— to have been fictitious. And um, what's amazing is, like, in the 1700s, um, German liberalism— and, and by the way, i got to say this, folks. Here, here's a, a little, little nugget to keep in mind. Wherever God does a great work, very often Satan comes in and does a, a counter-offense. All right, the same Germany that gave us the Reformation in 1517, 200 years later— out of that very same Germany comes what we call higher criticism and German liberalism. 200 years beyond that, we had the ovens of Auschwitz. And, and when, in the case of our own nation, our beloved America, look, uh, God birthed America. America has had great awakenings. America, for 200 years, has been the primary funder of the Great Commission. But if we don't vigilantly stay with Jesus and his word, the uh, the— our nation becomes vulnerable to be a place where Satan does a massive work. And, and I think we might be seeing the beginnings of that. But here's the thing. Archaeology, uh, in the late 1700s, German liberals under a guy named Friedrich Schleiermacher, um, they said, oh, well, there never was a Jericho and the Battle of Jericho, and there probably never was a King David. And Solomon having horse stables of 750 horses each cities of horses. That was just ancient Jewish, you know, braggadocia, you know. Well, archaeology has found all of these things, archaeological discoveries that support everything we read in both Old and New Testaments, um, including things like, you know, Samuel the prophet and King David and, yes, Solomon's cities of horses. And more recently, we even talked about the Pool of Siloam, uh, I I was at that excavation in 2014 and talked to a a non-Christian archaeologist who was just giddy with excitement, showing me. He said, "Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus, stood on these stones," 
And I was like, wow, so you're a believer? He was like, no, I'm not a believer, but I'm telling you as a historian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's the thing. You can go to a place called Tel Don. They often pronounce it Tel Dan, but it's really Tel Don. And there's an archway that we know both Joshua and Abraham uh, had been through this particular archway. And Tim, I know you've you've led many trips to the Holy <clears throat> Land. You've probably been out there, haven't mm-hmm. you? Yes. Um, and, and so, um, it, you know, Israelite forts in uh, Gezer and Megiddo and the inscription at Tel Don and, um, you know, Paul, the journeys of Paul, Capernaum, the city of, of Jesus and the house of Peter. So here's the thing. Um, the, uh, the liberal criticisms of the history of historicity of the Bible have gone very silent because there has never, never, never been an archaeological discovery that refuted anything in the Bible. And in fact, there have been dozens and dozens that affirmed parts of the Bible that were once hotly contested. Ray, go ahead. Alex, first of all, thank you for this tremendous historical archaeological survey. I want to uh, you've mentioned the Old Testament. I want to ask about the books of the New Testament because it's a little bit of a, a different situation. You hear people say, oh, they voted. There was some, <clears throat> they just voted which books were in and which books were out. And people say there were other gospels written besides the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How did the New Testament, the 27 books, how did the New Testament as we have it, how did it come to be? Oh, great question. Great question. And hey, folks, hang with me. I got to tell you something so exciting. Because when when I was working for James Dobson back in like 04, 05, there was a, a terrible book and a terrible movie, the names of which I will not reiterate, but it basically attacked the New Testament canon. And it, there was a hit movie about this. And so I was charged with putting up a website uh, getting a lot of scholars, and I, I, in fact, pretty much spent most of 04, 05, and 06 working on research for about the New Testament canon. They've got 27 books, Matthew through Revelation. Now, what, what's really, really cool is, uh, I'm going to say this, the, the strength of the Old Testament is the quality of the manuscripts. A comparatively few amount of manuscripts, but incredible quality, now, the strength of the New Testament is the quantity. There are at present roughly twenty-six to 28,000 portions or copies of the New Testament. Now, they're written in Greek predominantly. But here's the thing, folks. Um, scholars, they look at all the available manuscripts, portions of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, Romans, and so forth. And they know, based on the you know twenty five or thirty thousand copies of the New Testament that exist, which by the way, it wasn't that they voted on it in three twenty five uh, or three twenty three there were two councils um, look, the New Testament, as you have it, was completely known by about 25 years after the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written about 95, 96 A.D., and we've got by about 120 to 125 A.D., just, you know, 25, 30 years after John, we've got complete copies of the same New Testament you and I have. So in terms of antiquity, I mean, that's just very, 
very early. But here's the amazing thing. And I'm going to make a point here that is just going to, I think, thrill everybody's heart. Um, Besides the New Testament manuscripts, there are hundreds of thousands of New Testament verse references in early church correspondence. For instance, a Christian in one city writes a letter to a Christian in another city, and in the context of the letter, quotes a verse. Uh, Dear Tim... Don't forget Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there weren't the verse numbers, but here's the thing. For years and years and years, it was said that scholars had come across 86,000 examples of early church correspondence that reconstruct New Testament verses, such that, now listen to this, folks, even if we didn't have the twenty-six to 28,000 New Testament copies— we could reconstruct all but about a dozen verses just based on early church correspondence. So I was debating this atheist, Bart Ehrman, and he remarked that the best New Testament scholar in the world was a guy named Daniel Wallace. Now, I know Dan Wallace because he's a conservative, and he, I hired him to do some writing for Focus on the Family. So I called Dan Wallace. I said, hey, Dan Wallace, even the atheist Bart Ehrman says you're the best New Testament scholar in the world. He said, wow, okay. And I said, hey, Dr. Wallace, didn't we used to say that we could reconstruct all but a dozen verses of the New Testament, even if we had none of the New Testament manuscripts, because there were something like 85, 86,000 New Testament verse references that have been discovered in early church correspondence? And he said, well, we don't really make that argument anymore. I said, really? Why not? He said, well, because it's well over a half million. He said, Alex, if we had no manuscripts of the New Testament, and we do, we have nearly 30,000, but he said, even if none of the New Testament manuscripts existed, he said, we could reconstruct every verse of the New Testament based on more than a half million examples of New Testament Bible verses cited within the pages of early church correspondence within the first 200 years of the church. Do you see what I'm saying, guys? Mm. Now, this is huge, and even skeptics acknowledge that. So here's my point, and I'll conclude. It might be common knowledge or, or like conventional wisdom, urban legend, say, oh, well, the Bible, who knows what it really said. But look, in the circles of serious academia, where these guys spend their lifetimes looking at what's called manuscript attestation. I mean, even those that are not really devoted to following Jesus will admit the New Testament has been preserved. So what you have is what God originally gave, and what it says is God loves you, Christ died for you, you can put your faith in him. Uh, uh, uh uh, Alex, I, I, this was fantastic, excellent presentation. I do have just one minor one to, point. <clears throat> excuse me, I was the one who invited him on. Okay, okay. I know. <laughs> I know to you as no, well. no. I, I don't want to bring attention. <laughs> My to work here is done. Uh, I just wanted to just note that. I, I, I just had one minor correction, Alex, in that wonderful presentation. You mispronounced the last prophet of the Old Testament. You called him Malachi. 
The only Italian prophet in the Old Testament was pronounced Malachi. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. You could kind exactly. of change that next time you <laughs> next time you make the comment uh, or whatever. Uh, I think uh, Malachi. Yeah, the prophet Malachi. Yeah. We're well, Italians are very proud of him. <laughs> it's great to have you yeah. back, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, talking to Dr. Alex McFarlane. Uh, uh, Alex uh, and uh, Alex, of course, is heard each afternoon here on American Family Radio on the uh, live on-air <clears throat> Bible study program with Bert Harper. <clears throat> Bert and Alex host Exploring the Word. What were the t- what were those two books that you recommended for people who um, want to uh, explore this topic more? Yeah, and do you know, um, by the way, Bert and I, we have like a recommended yes. reading list that we put up on on Facebook every now and then of and I would encourage everybody build build a good Christian library because there there are so many good books to to have one is by F F Bruce and it's called The Canonicity of the Bible or the the canon of the Bible C A N O N you know how we got the Bible another one that I would recommend by Norm Geisler brilliant scholar he's in heaven now but it was called From God to Man how we got the Bible. Then let me mention one more, and th- this is a close family friend. He's amazing. Erwin Lutzer, L-U-T-Z-E-R. He wrote a book called Seven Reasons You Can Trust the Bible, and uh, it's it, a very substantive book. Dr. Lutzer is a trustworthy scholar, and uh, oh, there's a lot more, but I think I'll have us our, our recommended reading list. We'll put that up on the Exploring the Word Facebook page again. Okay, Ray, did you have another question for Alex? Yeah. Okay, we got just a couple of minutes, Alex, but just along these general lines, for our listeners, some people pick up, say, what we sometimes call a Catholic Bible, and they say books in between the Old Testament and New Testament, the Apocrypha. What are those books about? Is that part of Scripture? Can those books be trusted historically? Oh, great, great question. Uh, and, you know, let me say this. There are the um, the Catholic Bibles, probably the most famous is published. It's called the Dewey Rames Bible or Rhymes. Um, there are these books, Apocrypha means hidden, okay? And Christianity is not hidden. Uh, the There are Old and New Testament books that they included pretty much only at the Reformation and, and listen, I'm not bashing Catholics, but there was a cardinal who was a vehement enemy of Martin Luther. And some of the things Luther preached against, uh, they knew they could not justify by Scripture, the 66 canonical books. So in, in the time of the Reformation, the late 1500s, they canonized some books. Uh, there was First and Second Esdras and the Wisdom of Solomon and... Uh, First and Second Maccabees, uh, the Prayer of Manasseh, the Catholic Church <clears throat> began to include these books between Old and New Testaments as a kind of second canon, not because—and in fact, at the time, there were many Catholic priests and bishops that vehemently opposed it, because they had never, prior to the Council of Trent, they had never affirmed these as Scripture. Now, let me just say this about the early church, um, these apocryphal books, which means hidden, uh, here's why we don't view them as Scripture. Uh, Because the test in the early church 
the test for canonicity. They were like this. The early church leaders, they were like, okay, was this book written by an apostle, one who had seen the risen Jesus? Uh, did it harmonize with existing Scripture? Did it have the, the consent of the church at large? And did it exhibit the power of God to change lives? So none of the apocryphal books meet the test for canonicity that the Matthew through Revelation exhibited. And so um, they're, they're interesting. They're, a, frankly, a historical curiosity, but they are not Scripture. They're not the inspired Word of God like Genesis through Malachi <laughs> or Matthew through <laughs> Revelation. Um, that's my short answer on that. We could talk about it further, perhaps. But yeah. I'm going to give you one last verse, guys, John 10.35. And I teach this to youth at my camps uh, by the way, for my summer youth camps, Biblical Worldview, go to equipretreat.org. We're doing seven camps all over America to woke-proof your kids. When it, are one. those this summer? Mm-hmm. We're in Iowa, Colorado, Georgia, New Jersey, the Carolinas, Tennessee. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and equipretreat.org, it's going to be great. What, what's but, the website for all those camps? E- equip retreat.org. Okay. Uh, John 10.35, here's what the risen Lord Jesus said. John 10.35, the scripture cannot be broken. Amen. 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 Well, listen, Alex, fascinating. I thought this would be a 10-minute conversation, but it turned into 25 (laughs) minutes, but that's okay. It was very worthwhile. No problem. That's why we we enjoyed having you on and uh, look forward to your uh, show this afternoon with with Bert. Thank you, Alex. Uh, God bless you all. All right, Steve Jordahl will come in. Steve Paisley Jordahl. I called him Jordan yesterday. <laughs> You've been doing that a lot. Yeah, the way he wears. You've been kind of slipping into the air Jordans. I know, right? <laughs> uh, I don't think Steve, I'm looking, Steve doesn't have any Paisley on today. But uh, all right, so uh, stay with us. We'll be back in a few minutes. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.